Well, good morning. We reach part number four, principle number four this morning, and we look at uh, communion. We look at communion, or the Lord's table. Uh, This morning, I will use those terms interchangeably. They are interchangeable. The the word communion and the word the Lord's Supper or the Lord's table, they're one and the same thing. But that's going to be our focus today, actually, morning and evening. And I would encourage you to be here for both, uh, to get the full grasp or at least some grasp as much as I possibly can give you today on uh, the ordinance of communion. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Um, you may have guessed that's where we're going to be this morning. 1 Corinthians 11. This is where we turn to, isn't it, as we come to communion normally, uh, when we turn to this ordinance and as we share together. So let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to read from verse 17 to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34. This is God's word. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you, you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another, goes, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you first of all that you're teaching us through your word week by week. We thank you that it is so relevant to us, so applicable for us. And as we as a church 
uh, go through this series of looking at these principles. And as we, this morning, look at this second ordinance of the, the communion, the Lord's table, we pray that you will speak to us and that you will teach us and remind us of the importance of what we do when we come to the table and what it means for us. So help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a church, we believe that, and it's on the screen, the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the Lord, in which gathered believers eat bread signifying Christ's body, given for his people, and drink the cup of the Lord signifying the new covenant in Christ's blood, in remembrance of the Lord, proclaiming his death until he comes. So there are five elements to this definition of communion, this summary. And as before, we're going to consider them one at a time, looking at the biblical basis for our belief and why we do it. So the first one is this. Let's just get started with this. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the Lord. Okay? It's an ordinance of the Lord. What we mean by this, well, just as I said when we looked at baptism... It's something that Jesus commanded. It's a command of Christ. He ordained it. Christ ordained two things. Baptism and communion. However, baptism is a one-time thing. And communion is an ongoing practice of the church, of the believer. The Gospels of Matthew, you don't need to turn there, but in Matthew 26 and 26 and in Mark 14, 22 and in Luke 22 and 14, all record the Last Supper of Jesus. We actually looked at it, didn't we? Just a number of weeks ago in, in the No Greatest series. They all record the Last Supper of Jesus that he had with his disciples that night before he died. And each account describes Jesus giving thanks for some bread and a cup of wine. And then he gives it. To his disciples. Luke. Well he actually records Jesus saying. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what he says. So from the earliest records we see that the church did what Jesus said. I shouldn't be surprised to us should it? That the early church did what Jesus said. They reenacted the supper in remembrance of Jesus and his death. They did it as, as he ordained it. As he did it. As he set it up. They continued to do uh, what he had done. And here in 1 Corinthians 11 and 20, Paul calls it the Lord's Supper. Let's read it together. Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 11. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. And what he's saying there is they came in the wrong manner. We're going to look at this in just a moment. They came in the wrong manner. But what, is, what Paul is saying is that this, what we are doing and what you should be doing is called the Lord's Supper. And because Christ is the focus of it, and because he ordained it, Christians should be willing agents to accept and obey it. It doesn't get much more simple than that, does it? Because he's the focus of it, and because he ordained it, us, those who believe, should be willing agents to accept it and obey it. Two ordinances that we looked at, baptism and communion, they're not optional. 
Also, let me just say this lovingly. It would be strange for one to be obeyed without the other. Just think about that for a moment. I was sitting in the office thinking about that this week. It would be odd, wouldn't it, that Christ ordains two things. We do one, but we don't do the other. It just seems a bit unusual. So secondly, the Lord's Supper is for gathered believers. For gathered believers. You see, the Lord's Supper is an act for the gathered family of God. For those who believe in Jesus, for the church. You see, four times in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul speaks of a coming together when the Lord's Supper is eaten. Look at verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as the church. Look at verse 20. When you come together, look at verse 33. Verse 33 says this. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat. And then look at verse 34. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So when you come together, it's a coming together. It's a, it's a gathering of those who believe, those who have professed faith and have possession of his spirit. They are the ones who are taking and partaking of the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. You see, the, the church is made up of those who have turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus for forgiveness. Those who have a hope of eternal life. Those who have been bought by the blood of Christ. Those who are satisfied in Christ. Now, having said that, we are more than happy for the, those of you who are unbelievers to be present at the table. We are happy with that. We welcome you to be present. There is nothing secretive about the Lord's Supper. It's, it's held in public. And I believe it's probably the best ongoing public demonstration of the gospel that we have. That's what it is. So why would we do it in secret? We do it in public. So Jesus ordained it. The gathered believers should participate in it. Uh, and when they do so, they, thirdly, Eat bread, signifying Christ's body given for his people, and drink the cup of the Lord, signifying the new covenant in Christ's blood. See, the physical action of the Lord's Supper is very simple. After giving thanks, we eat bread and we drink wine, or here we have non-alcoholic wine. But look at verses 23, the second half of verse 23 to 25. This is what we read very regularly. Uh, And we'll maybe just read it again, just here at this point. It says this. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. The bread and the cup are only symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus. Only symbols. Only emblems. You see in John 6. After Jesus had referred to himself as the bread of life. 
those I am statements. I am the bread of life. And he encouraged his disciples to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. He explains to his confused disciples, and uh, I think we would have been confused at that moment too, but he explains to his disciples that they shouldn't get hung up on his reference to eat his flesh uh, or, or drink his blood. He explains to them that he was speaking figuratively. Referring to a, a spiritual action, not, a, not a, a physical one. Jesus wasn't encouraging cannibalism or initiating transubstantiation. That wasn't what was happening here. You see, transubstantiation is the Roman Catholic teaching that the bread literally becomes the body of Christ. And the wine literally becomes the blood of Christ. These emblems turn into, into such when the priest says the words of the institution of the Eucharist. But Jesus in verse 63 of John 6 explains to the disciples that this would be a spiritual action, not a literal one. That is what's happening, happening here. <clears throat> when we take uh, the, the bread and the body, we feast on Christ spiritually. We, we by faith... Uh, and for the satisfaction of our souls, we hunger and thirst for Him. You feed, we feed our souls on all that God has done for us in Christ. See, we nourish our hearts on all the blessings that He brought to us with His body and His blood, by His body and by His blood. That's what we, we are nourished on. See, for the Lord's Supper to be what Jesus means it to be, something more must be happening than only eating and drinking. Something that unbelievers and the devil cannot do, and that is feasting on Christ spiritually. So Jesus commanded the gathered believers to eat bread, signifying Christ's body, given for his people, and drink the cup of the Lord, signifying the new covenant in Christ's Blood. Fourthly, we do all this in remembrance of him. In remembrance of him. You see, there's a mental action in the Lord's Supper as well as a physical and spiritual action. This is all happening at this same time. You see, when taking the bread and the cup, the participants focus their minds on Jesus. And especially his cross work for the forgiveness of their sins. Again, it is clear that there is therefore only uh, those who are believing, those who have truly been forgiven, those who truly know him should participate at the table. Verse 24 and verse 25, Jesus said that this should be done in remembrance of him. He says it twice. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So during communion, we are consciously calling to mind the person of Jesus as he once lived and died and rose again. We are to remind ourselves what his work means for the forgiveness of our personal sin. We're not talking about imagining or dreaming or some unconscious uh, thoughts or thinking we're talking about conscious directing of our mind back in history to Jesus 
and to what we know about him from his word. So the Lord's Supper really roots us time after time in history. And also roots us in the present. As we thank him for all that he has done for us and his faithfulness to us. And essentially then, as we'll look at just a moment, it roots us also in the future as we long to be with him. So as believers, we have been commanded to eat bread signifying Christ's body for his people and drink the cup of the Lord signifying the new covenant in Christ's blood in remembrance of the Lord and fifthly, proclaiming his death until he comes. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Firstly, let me state that there is nothing in the New Testament about the frequency of the Lord's table. There isn't a, a biblical mandate for the frequency of it. However, in Acts 20. And verse 7, we're told the disciples gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread and drink the cup. The first day of the week. That was a statement of fact for the particular first day. In the Greek, there is an ongoing tense that could be used to indicate that this was an ongoing practice, but it is not used. What I see here is that they did not simply meet on the first day, but every day of the week. Why do I say that? Well, in Acts 2 and 46, and maybe you can turn there, actually, if you want to. Turn there, because it's helpful. Acts 2 and verse 46 says this, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. The frequency of the Lord's Supper is for each gathering to determine. And we as a church and as association of Baptist churches, we have determined uh, to take the Lord's Supper on every first day of the week, every Sunday. As often as we gather to remember Jesus in this way, we don't only proclaim his death, we proclaim that he is alive. That Jesus is not dead. That on the third day, just as he foretold, he rose from the dead. And today he's exalted on high and will return. He's alive and he's coming back. That's what we proclaim. That is what we are proclaiming, uh, as well as all that we've looked at in these last few moments. We're also proclaiming that he's alive and he's coming back to take all of those who know him and love him to be with him forever, for eternity. See, Jesus promised the disciples a reunion around the table. Do you remember that that day when we looked at that no greater supper uh, part of our series? And in that moment, in Matthew 26 and 29, you don't need to turn there, but you'll remember, hopefully, that Jesus told the disciples that they will be reunited after his resurrection. 
But these words of sorrow as he told him that he was going to the cross and that he was going to die. And they didn't fully comprehend what he was saying to them. As he gave them these words of sorrow, he also gave them great hope by pointing to an even greater day where they will be reunited and enjoy what he said was the fruit of the vine. That new wine in heaven. The wine is... Figurative, for greater joy, a place where his disciples will be forever associated with Christ. And they together will enjoy the overwhelming glory and joy of that eternal place. And what a wonderful, hope-filled promise they were given. And so are we. Those who know him and love him. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the Lord in which gathered believers eat bread signifying Christ's body given for his people and drink the cup of the Lord signifying the the new covenant in Christ's blood in remembrance of the Lord proclaiming his death until he comes. Well, to you who stay for communion, let me speak to you for a moment, okay? Paul gives us a warning in verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11 and 27. Whoever therefore eats and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Paul's warning here is to believers. Originally those in Corinth who treated the Lord's Supper with contempt, using it to fill their stomachs and get drunk. That's what I was referring to just a few moments ago when I was saying about the context of the passage and Paul calling it the Lord's Supper and how the way that they were coming to the Lord's Supper made it not the Lord's Supper because of the way they were acting. They ate the bread and drank the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And in doing so, they were guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. They ate and drank judgment on themselves. Do we read that verse unconsciously some weeks? That is so serious. To participate in communion ritualistically with Without participating with your mind and your heart is to participate in communion in an unworthy manner. To go through the motions without going through any emotion, to treat it lightly rather than seriously is to participate in communion in an unworthy manner. Believing communion imparts grace or merit that... The ceremony itself, rather than the sacrifice it represents, can save or keep one saved, is to take communion in an unworthy manner. Doesn't save you. Just as baptism doesn't save you. To come and take communion with a spirit of bitterness and hatred toward another believer, or come with a sin which you will not repent is to come and take communion in an unworthy manner. 
These are just some of the reasons. As believers we should not partake of communion. If a believer comes with anything less than the loftiest thoughts of Christ. For Father, Spirit. With humility in their hearts. And anything less than total love for his brother and his sister in Christ. They come unworthily. To come unworthily to the Lord's table is to become guilty of the blood and the body of Christ. Every time you come to the Lord's Supper, therefore, we should examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You need to look, I need to look honestly at my heart. And I need to look for anything that should not be there. Confessing that which I find to him in those moments. Why do we sit? Why do I call for a moment or, or several moments of quietness? So that you can do exactly that. You can examine your heart. You can confess your sin. You can be right with Christ before you take of that table and its emblems unworthily. A person who does partake without coming in the right spirit eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's serious. What is that judgment? If it's there and that's what the text says, what what does it mean for me? Well, the word krima, which is the Greek there, it, it has the idea of chastisement. Because of course we know from Romans 8 and 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know we cannot be lost once we're truly saved. But to avoid God's chastisement I want you to think of that as a father disciplining his children. As his father disciplining his son and his daughters lovingly. We must Properly discern and respond to the holiness of the occasion. The table then is a special place. Having said what I've just said in those last few moments. It's a very special place for the purification of the church. And we're going to look at that tonight in more detail. That's why you need to be here. Looking at the purification of the church. To those who leave during communion. Let me speak to you. Have you ever considered what it is you proclaim to others when you leave before the Lord's table? Have you ever considered that? Well, to those who do, do not know you, and we're in a growing church, I think. We have visitors coming in. We have new people sitting with us. What is it that we proclaim? And please, I say this lovingly as as your, your shepherd. You proclaim that you're not saved. At best, you proclaim that you do not perceive the observance of the Lord's table to be an important command, an ordinance of God for you as a Christian. At least, not today. 
Maybe you're godly. Maybe you're a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting, God-centered follower of Christ who simply fails to see the seriousness and the importance of gathering to remember the Lord in this way as often as we do it. You see, this morning, let me extend an invitation for all to stay. But let me please clarify this. Let me extend a second invitation to all of those who have a genuine faith in Christ to partake of the table and its proclamation. What that means, those two invitations, is that we all can stay. And all who do stay and know him as Lord and Savior can take of the table. God does not expect perfection. It does not give you liberty to be those who come in an unworthy manner. There are no perfect saints at the Lord's table, just forgiven sinners. That's it. Just forgiven sinners. You know, communion played a more than significant role in the first century church as they gathered for corporate worship. And it was in the situation and the circumstance of corporate worship. And therefore, for us, as a body of believers, it should be held and considered and undertaken in the same way, with seriousness, with humility, with, with, with great reverence as we come to the table. Therefore, from this Sunday on, from this Sunday onwards, the Lord's Supper, communion, will be a continuation of our service. Not something that's separate or tacked on to the end, but part of our corporate worship. So from today, can we kindly, as elders, ask that during the singing of the last hymn, so I'm going to finish in just a few moments, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And during that last hymn, can I kindly and lovingly ask that those who have to leave or think that you have to leave, can you leave during the singing of the last hymn? Why do I say that? Why do we want to start this from this week onwards? Well, it allows those who are going to stay to continue in an act of worship without distraction. If we're reading the scriptures and we are seeing the seriousness of communion and how we should approach it and what it should be for us uh, as a body of believers in this church, then we need to take this seriously and it needs to be part and parcel of our corporate worship. So please, during the singing of that last hymn, take the opportunity, if you need to, to leave. After we have finished singing that hymn, those of us who stay, please take your seat. And then one of the elders will lead us at the table and we will move straight in to worship. That's what we're going to do. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and then we're going to feast around the table. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the clarity that we have from your word regarding the Lord's table and and communion. We thank you that it is a serious thing, that it it should be huge in our mind as we approach it, as we examine ourselves, as as we come to the table before we take of the bread and the wine. But Lord, most of all, we thank you of what it symbolizes. Lord, that you gave your son for us and that through his death and his burial and his resurrection, those of us who know him, those who come to him and have called upon him, we can know forgiveness of sins and a way back to you, a relationship restored with you and we can approach the throne of grace now. And we come now to these moments as part of our corporate worship, to the table, remembering all that you have done for us through your Son. So help us in the right mind, in the right spirit, to continue to worship you in these moments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.